Oh, hello. I didn't hear you listening there. This is Mike Squires from Death McKagan's Loaded. God, this is so stupid. <laughs> yeah, this is Mike Squires from Death McKagan's Loaded and, uh, and Couch Trips. And you are enjoying the rock and roll and coffee show, aren't you? I think you are. And now you're listening to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. Here are your hosts, Joe and Nick. Welcome to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. I'm Joe, here with Nick. What's going on, Nick? Yo, yo, yo. We're on episode 18 of the show. If you've been listening to the show and you like the show, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook and share the show with your friends. If you share it with one of your friends and they share it with one of your friend, their friends will be huge. And so on and so on. That's right. So on. It takes one. Tonight's guest, Nick, we've got uh, Kelly Schaefer from Atheist will be on the show with us tonight. Cool. We're going to give him a call. We're actually, I think we've got our phone working, so we're going to try this with Kelly the first time. So hopefully this goes well. Hopefully this goes well. Let's see what happens. Let's do it. Let's call him. All right. I hear ringing. Hello. Kelly. Yeah, buddy. What's going on, bud? How are you, man? Sorry. <laughs> I had my headphones on. I was recording. You know, <laughs> I thought you were sleeping or something. No, 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 no. I was recording this. Uh, I was recording vocals on. Like, I get a few uh, rare moments without, like, children around to do vocals on, on demo tracks <laughs> so i was i had headphones on i was like shit and looked at the clock and realized it was after nine o'clock sorry no worries i know what it's like with kids and uh trying to do music believe me <laughs> are we on the air we are on the air we're recording right oh, now the, and i've got uh i've got uh nick on the phone you might remember hey, you might remember hey. nick from back in the day he used to do the coffee stain radio show with me what's awesome. up how are you, what's nick? up Hey Kelly, what's going on, man? Just cruising through COVID land, you know. Yeah, here in FLA. Yeah, Nick, <laughs> we're down with the sickness, <laughs> <You're> right? <laughs> Nick, Nick's down there in Florida too, still. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah so you yeah. know, yeah, it's a fucking shit show down here. Yeah, I'm crazy. What have you been um, doing in uh, with all this going on? Well, I mean, just trying to stay productive. I mean, obviously, uh, being in the the bar business and the sort of, um, you know, uh, service industry business, uh, just, you know, booking shows and stuff. We, we had to pretty much shut it down because, uh, everything was, everything was a wrap. So we, uh, I've just been making music. I mean, I've literally since quarantine started in February, I've written three hours of music. Wow. <laughs> most pro my most prolific period in my entire <laughs> life. I, I got this studio set up in my house and, uh, Oh man, it's just invaluable. I wish they would have had it when I was a kid. I would have, you know, 20 or 30 albums by now. Right. Yeah. It's amazing what you can do now with the technology. Oh man. I, yeah. And I, I got these guitar, um, these plugins, um, and the, the plugins these days are, you know, they've, they've taken every single amplifier you could ever oh, yeah. imagine every, every cabinet thing. And it's just, man, I just get to pick through the best guitars yeah. I've ever. And, and any sound you want. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's incredible. And uh, even bass, too. So I'm uh, just sitting here literally at my desk making recordings that sound as good as anything I ever did back in the day, I mean, in terms of production. So it's nice to be able to put together tunes and show the band, uh, here, here's what I mean, instead of trying to explain it over, you know, in a rehearsal spot where it's loud and everybody's trying to play at the same time. Like, oh, no, 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 I'll play like this four times, and three times this, and a little bit right. like this. It's just I can lay it all out and be like, here, play this. Now, what, what are you using to record? What, what's your um, I have studio, studio One um, is my is my uh, sort of recording. You know, instead of Pro Tools, I use Studio One, and uh, those guys were kind enough to hook me up with. Uh, so I met them. Uh, I met one of the guys, uh, Chris Hare, out on uh, on tour in December, and he hooked me up with the uh, Studio One, and then I just started getting the plugins from uh, Tone Hub, which are incredible, and uh, I got the new Mark Lewis tones and Tone Pack and. Um, also the Will Putney tone pack and those two tone packs guitar wise, just give me every option possible. There's every Saldano, Mesa Boogie, Marshall, um, every combo and they just sound fucking incredible. And, uh, so I'm able to literally sit at a desk with Paul Patrol blaring behind me, uh, and, and, you know, with my three-year-old, right. uh, and, and, um, and make music and, um, not bother anybody or not, you know, bother the neighbors or anything and, you know, make loud metal. And it's, it's just the greatest thing it, without it. I don't know how it would get through this quarantine. Really. I, I don't know how it would just be stuck at home all the time. Um, but it's, uh, that's what I've been doing and just, you know, just trying to, uh, stay productive and stay, you know, stay with the art and, and uh, and get through this madness. Yeah, when um now when this all started, you were on the cruise that rock. What was that? Yeah, it was seventy thousand tons of metal, and uh, it's a, a, a the largest metal sort of festival in the world. And um, yeah, we were out. We had just finished the American tour that we did with Cattle and and um, and all the rest of the bands, and uh, that was a great run. And that ended in uh, just before Christmas, and then we dipped out and did the seventy thousand tons of metal came home and shit hit the fan <laughs> mm. so uh yeah just uh from that that was that was pretty much the last thing we were able to do and surprisingly i mean when we were out on tour everybody got very sick so i, I truly believe that everybody got covid out on that tour in november december because we were all over the place shaking hands hugging sure and, you know at the yeah, thing. so i can't imagine that we did and, and everybody got really sick like everybody at different periods of the tour got sick to a level that uh you know that kept them in bed i mean everybody had their episodes and we didn't you know we just thought ah shit it's just you know flu or just right. cold and it was it was freezing cold anyway up in the northeast we went all the way out west and ended up in san diego but uh yeah by the time i came home i i got sick again my little boy was sick and uh and so i had already been sick on the tour and i got sick again i was like jesus this is the worst i've ever worst thing i've ever had you know and yeah. i just was telling my wife you know like i don't I just doesn't seem like a normal cold you know and uh so i got through it i had a fever and this and that and and uh and we got through it and then all of a sudden this shit hit and um and then i just thought man i think i think we've already had it but we never got the antibody test to find out for sure but it doesn't matter anyway because you can get it again so. right yeah so uh i just you know had i known and i mean you know when i look back at the videos in january and i think man if i'd have known that was the last show we were going to play for a year uh you know, not that I didn't enjoy it then, but I would have enjoyed it even more because <laughs> uh, that was an incredible. If if ever you want to have the best time of your life, if you're a metal fan, go into seventy thousand tons of metal. It's the best money you'll ever spend. It's the just an incredible party with sixty, I think sixty two bands from all around the world. Um, every band plays twice, and it's just nothing but metalheads 
24-7 for, for four days. And it's the best. <laughs> so, so much fun. And we've done it twice. We did it back in 2012. And then uh, we just did it last year. So, or this year, actually, top of this year. So, yeah, it was, it was fun. But uh, we were supposed to go and uh, do a, a U.S. tour with uh, at the Gates in August. And, um, and then we were also supposed to head to Europe in September to do a headlining tour. So and did that uh, get postponed or did it get canceled? Yes. Um, no, not canceled, but postponed. Um, we're waiting for the actual information. So I can't really say for sure, but we definitely can't. I mean, we're not allowed to travel to Europe right now. Americans. It's right. Embarrassing. It's so yeah. embarrassing. Yeah. You know, for, for, I can't remember a time in my life where Americans weren't welcome anywhere. You know, um, yeah, <laughs> this is where we are, Trump world. You know, I mean, uh, where you know, just everybody just failed to really sort of get their shit together and and uh, and have a, a steady message to sort of get past this. And, you know, if you look at how Europe responded to this, and uh, and how well they've been able to sort of bring down the, you know, bring down the the cases, you know, it can be done. It's just you got to have, you know, got to have leadership. You can't just have a fast car. You got to have a good driver. You know what I mean? And we're a great country, but we have a shitty driver. <laughs> yeah. So. And, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with our mentality, too, though. What? What is that? Well, like Americans. Uh, you know, we we tend to have a sense of entitlement, I think. Oh, no question. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, you, I'm not wearing a mask. Are you infringing on my rights? You know, all that kind of stuff. Oh, it's my like, God. That's ridiculous. But, I mean, you know, if you can, you know... You can't walk around with your with your pecker out, and you can't walk around with your boobs out, and you can't you can't walk in a store with no shoes and no shirt. You know, you can't go have dinner. Exactly. Uh, you know, there's <clears throat> things that we we kind of accept amongst each other, civility. You know what I mean? And uh, and certainly, and those aren't even in times of pandemic. That's just basic decency. Yeah. So you know, when when you know that that listen, if I wear if I don't wear a shirt into this restaurant, I'm going to kill somebody. You don't fucking you put a shirt on. Right. You know? right yeah. uh, that's just, you know, the Americans are usually, I, I just, I'm just kind of disappointed that, you know, maybe in the beginning, everybody was like, ah, blah, blah. but I mean, when you look at the numbers now, you gotta, you gotta say, all right, listen, Jesus, I, I you know, we gotta pull our shit together here. Uh, we can look at the rest of the world. Everybody's had to deal. This isn't just a, an American thing. So, um, you know, when you see other people having success, with something, then you, uh, you know, you follow suit and it's just a shame we weren't leading it. We could have, mm -hmm. but, uh, but we didn't. And here we are. So, I mean, uh, it's going to be a long time before live music. It's, I mean, I just, man, I just never could have imagined that, you know, that, and, and it really affects everyone from, you know, crew, uh, not just live music, but, you know, not just the bands and, and, and musicians and stuff, but promoters and crew and techs and, um, and then you get into Hollywood and, and even production has stopped there. So, I mean, it's really affected everybody, be it rich or poor. Yeah. Uh, it's just easier for richer people to get through it because they've got a stockpile of money. But, um, you know, when you depend week to week on, on or month to month uh, on making music or even um, throughout the year to be able to go on tour in the summertime, especially for metal bands, uh, for us to be able to go to Europe and play festivals and, and club shows, that's our, that's, our, that's our season, you know? Yeah. So, right. Yeah, to just lose it all together is uh, catastrophic. So everybody's just really trying to scramble and, and try to find ways to make money that we didn't have to, you know, we didn't anticipate that we would have to do this year. So it's um, it's a unique time, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you guys been pushing merch or 
I mean, what have yeah, you been doing? Absolutely. Yeah, we've uh, we've got um, a lot of new merch. Running. We just um, in a couple of days we're going to release a, a mask line. <laughs> mask, so yeah. <laughs> mask. Yeah, 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 I got you. So, you know, I mean, I think that that's a really bizarre thing that I wouldn't have anticipated last year. Hey, check out our mask. Um, but, you know, certainly an atheist mask is one to uh, not only get you through the COVID, but to uh, draw many questions from right. your shopping friends and publics. <laughs> if you have atheist on your mask. Right. <laughs> not like a normal band, you know. Uh, people are like, oh, really? Well, I'm Catholic. You know, I just think it's kind of funny that, we, you know, when you see our masks, it's, it's, a, it's almost like a uh, a religious statement, you know, but if you don't know the band and you think that somebody's just trying to shout out their religion. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's kind of funny. Well, I saw, I saw your new shirt design and that was pretty cool. I might pick yeah, one of those it's, up. Uh, yeah. It's really, I like it. It looks like money. It's the first, mm. um, non-album t-shirt design we've had in 30 years yeah i don't know why but well you know we we were gone for 17 of those 30 and and uh you know we're just sort of coming back into the into the fold in the last three or four years but it's nice to have some new designs and and uh we look forward to having some more of those in the future as well we're just trying to find the right artists and you know just the right the right designs and stuff but it's a you know without merch and stuff like that especially touring um you know touring is uh, merchandise is a huge huge part of making ends meet you know so uh anybody out there that wants to support bands and music the best way you can do it is by buying those t-shirts that's the the only way that we can make money right now so yeah because you know album albums themselves you know we will you know we make a record and, and you know it takes five years to pay it off it's like a bank loan you know right. so nobody nobody makes money off of album sales unless you sell you know, a lot Right. So, uh, so it's really about buying T-shirts and stuff, and that, and that that kind of shit really goes directly to the bands. So, you know, maybe fans don't realize that they think, well, you know, I'm gonna buy the album, eh, buy the shirt. Right. 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 <laughs> well, let's um, let, uh, let's get back to the beginning for you. When, when, way back. Yeah, way back. Let's go way back for a minute here. You right. um, you guys started as what? Ravage. We did. Yeah, and we were like uh, 16 years old, and we were Ravage, and we uh, Ravage for probably about a year. We made made some demos, and and then we found out that there was a band that sounded like Dokken that also had the same name, Ravage, and so we were like, yeah, we got to change the name. Yeah, yeah. Back oh. then, uh, they had a they had a record deal actually, and so we were still in the demo stage. So whenever we started getting label interest, they were like, well, you know, there's this other band called Ravage. So we were like, oh, we made it an acronym for Raging Atheists Vowing a Gory End. Okay. <laughs> that was our, our acronym. And uh, they had clearly not a marketable name. Right. So we just um, just reduced it to Atheist. And, uh, and here we are. When did you guys start up? 1984? Is that when you guys started? Uh, 80, 85 is when we started. 80. Yeah. Um, yeah, eighty eighty five. We were maybe maybe a little, you know, into eighty four, but we we weren't real serious. We were still learning how to play then. But I, I'd say yeah. from eighty five on, we were taking it real seriously and, and trying to make some good music. And we, we weren't succeeding yet, but uh, it took us till probably eighty seven to where we finally started writing stuff that was meaningful and uh, impressive, and and still wasn't what we would become necessarily as a band. You know, we were still pretty primitive and knuckle dragging at that point just trying to be as heavy as we could be not necessarily as technical as we became and this sort of um you know creating a, a whole new sort of kind of music so we were you know still kind of you know we were very young so uh mm -hmm. you know, we, when we made peace of time we were 19 years old and um 
and by that time we, we kind of had an idea of what we wanted to do um, you know not just straight up death metal we wanted to make it more musical and we had roots in in a lot of musical bands like maiden and rush and, and stuff like that where they were actually great players and we just felt like a lot of death metal at that time was was um and there weren't a whole lot of great musicians right. it was very sloppy and and fast and you know when you can hide a lot of mistakes you know when you're playing really fast so right yeah, so, yeah about 87 we started you know really honing in on on technicality and, and musicianship and stuff okay and then uh piece of time came out in what 88 uh it was finished in 88 but it didn't come out until 89 um it, uh just with uh as, as just and then actually not until 1990 in america it came out in 89 in europe and we didn't have an american deal yet and um so it was, you know, it kind of sucked for us back then. We, we wanted our we wanted people to be able to buy the record here, but they couldn't unless they got it through import. And uh, then in 1990, we ended up um, signing with Metal Blade. Uh, and well, the, the actual first release of Piece of Time came out on um, the European label, and and then they had uh, they had worked out a a distribution deal through America, and so that, but it didn't come out until 1990. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in 1991, we did our second record. Yeah, I think that's right. Something like that. It's hard. It's been a right. long time. But, uh, you know, chronologically, I believe that's the way it rolled. It was 89 and 90 for our first record. Right. Side of the water. Now, when you were touring for a piece of time, um, you guys had that, the accident happened, correct? Was it that tour? We did. Yeah. Yeah, we were with on Roger. tour with a, a Swedish band called Candlemas. And um, we had toured with them in uh, Scandinavia prior to the u.s tour and yeah we did 30 i think 32 shows in america finished up in california and had to drive back in a in a van we were on a bus for the whole tour but we had had an equipment van that followed the bus the whole time so when we got finished with the tour out in california the guys from sweden just flew back to sweden from california and we drove and we were trying to save money on you know on the rental of the van it was very tight budget really crazy and uh, so our driver just drove and drove and drove and he got so tired that he uh he just couldn't drive anymore and so we had a guy who you know the other guy our other roadie drove for maybe a couple hours and just uh yeah it was just a shitty driver and um essentially crashed and uh killed you know one of the one of the best bass players i've ever known in my life you know roger patterson and uh so it was uh you know a defining moment in our in our band history where we had to you know, pull ourselves together with our, you know, our, our, our very good friend and, and, and an important songwriter in the band. You know, he was an right. important part of, yeah. you know, how, how we found our template um, with technicality. He was just an incredible bass player. He was with a you from the beginning, that, wasn't he? Yeah, well, um, not necessarily the very beginning. Me and Steve got together before that and uh, and and we, didn't, we played actually, played shows without a bass player for and basically mostly covers Mm -hmm. you know we had a couple couple of original songs but and then we had a a different singer uh who was more like you know sort of paul diano maiden-esque his name was steve freed and uh so it wasn't until we were playing a show i had known roger since we were kids we were we sold newspapers together and uh so I had met him and his twin brother, Ronnie, back then, back in when we were probably 12, 13 years old. Didn't see him again until we were 16. And uh, and then they came to that. They came to one of the shows that we were playing. And they were back then, you know, to be into Metallica and Exodus and Slayer was super obscure. 
everybody mm-hmm. else was into white snake and all this other shit so there's this underground thing and so when we were playing covers of slayer and exodus and all these kinds of metallica and such there you know roger was very excited about it and i was like oh you know we need a bass player and so one thing led to another and, and uh came together and then we started just uh that's when we changed from ravage to atheist and, okay uh, and then we started moving forward into original material only you know. right right so when that happened i mean that's, that had to be devastating for you what um i mean what was your what were you going through i mean we did well we just we did just, you guys stop playing for a while after that? i'm sure you did no no you kept no. going just no, kept going no, no. i mean we we wrote, we wrote, uh, you know, we had all that whole album written. Roger wrote it with us on questionable presence and, uh, we were set and ready. We were supposed to get off that tour and go to Europe and, and play. And, um, so there's a lot of things in place for us. We had momentum and, and we honestly, I know it sounds like the thing to say, you know, but, but the night before we crashed, we, we got really high together. We had one little bud of pot and, uh, we smoked it all and we got really stoned and talked and, and we were just ironically had talked about what we would do if we had to replace anybody in the band, you know, and Roger specifically said, Oh, I, you know, I would absolutely expect you guys to go on. I mean, uh, you know, if something happened to me and I was like, you know, same with me, you know, I would want you guys to go on and, you know, you have that conversation and, you know, within 10 hours he was gone. Mm. And, yeah, uh, crazy. so yeah, it is nuts, you know, and, and, and you, uh, so we, you know, we were friends with the guys in Cynic down in Miami who were kind of a, a band that was like us. You know, they also appreciated sort of jazz and technicality and progressive music. And um, we had played together on a couple of occasions. So uh, Tony Troy was the obvious choice to come in. And we had basically eight weeks before we were supposed to be in the studio uh, to record this record. So he came up from Miami, stayed with me, and we busted our ass. And um, it took him the entire eight weeks to to be able to learn Roger's bass lines. We had demoed some of the material, most of it. We didn't demoed all of it. So the last three or four songs, we uh, we basically did together. Um, you know, uh, you know, in person, and, and and aside from learning all the stuff that Roger had demoed. And uh, yeah, eight weeks later, we were in the studio uh, doing Uncrushable Presence. So. Uh, and you know Tony did a great job. You know he's yeah. one of the few guys on the planet back then that would be able to play those bass lines. These days, these kids are so fucking amazing. Uh, there's there's a large choice of people to choose from, but back then it just really wasn't anybody. You know, the technical metal wasn't a thing back then. And, uh, you know, so we were uh, we were sort of alone in that world and trying to find somebody who was also into who could also play like that. You know, and um, so so yeah, Tony did a great job and. and off we went. So we, but you know, we've always kept Roger alive, and I mean, there's still. I mean, he's been gone 28, 20, almost twenty nine years. Nuts. Wow. He's been gone mm-hmm. that long, but there's still kids sitting on the edge of their bed that are sixteen years old playing his bass lines. Yeah, yeah. He would have yeah. been super stoked about that. You know, I think uh, oh, he yeah. never could have imagined. You know, uh, that, that that would be the case because you know we we knew we were playing weird music, but we didn't think anybody would give a shit to this level to where it would matter 30 years later so you never know that you, know, you know, can imagine that that's the case there's so many bands so much music so many things you know so many songs so many people there's only so much space for you know for remembrance so yeah so uh, you know it, it, i think of him all the time man on stage and everything i just think that it's really uh an amazing uh, um, just makes me see more than anything you know more than even i uh, you know, had we made a bunch of money or, or any of that shit, um, it, it means more to me than than anything to have his name remembered and to see kids like shout him out at shows. And right, it's just cool, very cool, man. He was a great yeah. guy. 
Nice. Now, when you're um, the kids today, do you find that they're aware of atheist or like previously, oh, yeah. or are they just now finding well, you guys? kids meaning what age group? You mean well, under? well, I mean, I don't, I don't know what your average age to your um, well, fans see, in, are, but in, well, when we broke up in '93. And I went on with Neurotica and moved you know, on into that. And, and it wasn't until 2005 that I started. I didn't have any copies of our atheist albums. And I went online to, to try to buy them and, and was like uh, realizing that they're, you know, they were $150 used to buy a copy of Rao. And I was like, wow, that's nuts. Turns out that the internet really kind of preserved what we had done back then, um, displayed it on the internet and kids you know, listen to it and, uh, and kind of brought us back, you know, into, right. into the fold as a result of yeah. finding out. But I had no idea, you know, I, like I said, I thought a lot of people had forgotten about atheist. I moved on into a sort of a more mainstream world with neurotica and, and rock radio and stuff like that. And, uh, so when I, I went to buy the albums and I realized that I wouldn't pay $150 for anybody's records. So I just thought that it was really amazing that people would do that. So maybe we should put this records back out. And um, and that's what led me to sort of start a start my own label, and um, in order to not be basically sued, <laughs> because you know the European label had had paid for those records back in the day, but they never gave us statements, and we never got paid, you know, anything for anything. So I just took a chance and said, well, I'm going to try to get bootleg copies of all three records and uh, see if we can reissue them and see if anybody cares. And when we did, they did. And, sold really well and then we we ended up uh being offered uh Bakken open air which is the, one of the largest festivals in the world to come back and play and that was kind of the beginning of the new beginning was, was that your first show back um i want to yeah uh i'm pretty sure, yeah i think so i think it was, it was certainly one of the first three that's a hell of a way um, to come back we, yeah, sixty thousand people was not. I know, you know, we, we literally went there thinking that nobody, you know, maybe a bunch of old dudes or older dudes are going to be into it. But I mean, it was all young kids at the at the merch booth and and at the meet and greet, and um, it was just this really cool thing where these sixteen and seventeen, eighteen year old kids were had gone back, discovered that music, realized that we had we had influenced bands that they were into currently, right. And they, they wondered where, you know, this technical metal came from. And um, and then, uh, I, I guess, just sort of realized it. And then, you know, the story got told by magazines and such. And everybody, you know, the history sort of got displayed in magazines as we were coming back. And then, uh, you know, it was, it was many years where they tried to get us to make a new record. And I was like, ah, you know, we want to try to recreate the past. You know, it's just let's go out and celebrate and play these songs and just be grateful that, that anybody gives a shit. And uh, we played a lot of really high-profile shows. We played Hellfest in France, which was 40,000 people, and uh, a lot of, um, you know, ten to 20,000 people festivals. And it's just an incredible run in Europe. But it wasn't that way in America at all. So, um, you know, still we had, it was just still the same. It's just such a different world over there. They just appreciate things, and they hang on to history in a different way than Americans do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so... Um, yeah, so we spent a lot of time touring over there, and, uh, and then we finally decided to do a new record in 2010 after about four years of, of playing, you know, those old tunes and and, uh, and doing festivals and just kind of taking it, but you know, just taking it as it came. We didn't have any plan at all. We were just kind of having fun, just yeah. enjoying the fact that we were able to come back and and enjoy that kind of success. It was nice. 
And this was during Neurotica or after Neurotica? After. After, after. okay. When, when was Neurotica around? What were the years? It was 90, well, I mean, I started Neurotica in 94, and then it did, and then I had, that was for two years, I had a, it's kind of a weird lineup, and then in 96, I got the actual lineup that, that went on to record the records with me. Um, uh-huh. so, so from 98, Seed came out. So that's been, shit, what is that, 22 years now? Yeah, yeah. Is that where we're now, at? So now, you guys, were, you guys were produced by uh, Brian Johnson, right? Right, yeah, that first album, Seed. Yeah. Uh, we were playing in a little club here in our small town and he wandered into the club on, on a particular night that we were playing and dug what he saw and bought us some beers and um, we, we laid a demo on him and a couple days later we got a call from a mutual friend who was there with Brian that night and um, and uh, Doug Kay and he was yeah, he was reluctant to bring him over because he was not a fan of atheist Doug Kay and when he heard that we were playing around the corner in this club, he told Brian, oh, no, 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 you're not going to want to go see that. And Brian's like, come on, you know, let's go. And <laughs> lucky he did, you know, I mean, uh, the rest is history on that. And that two days later, we got a call and he was like, yeah, Brian wants to work with you guys. And uh, so we got in the studio together and, and put together seed. And um, and then they went off to, once we got the, you know, once we started working on the song, we came up with uh, Easy Speak, which was, ended up being a single. Mm-hmm. And Brian was so excited about it that, uh, you know, he wanted to go out to Vancouver to Brian Adams' studio and, and you know, mix the album and, um, with uh, Mike Frazier, who had done Metallica and Aerosmith and all these. So, I mean, we were just, you know, we were just blown away. I mean, I think, Joe, you were around at those times, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, not, yeah. Uh, not, I mean, I knew of you guys. I wasn't working with you at that time. No? No. I, I came in on a like... Living in Dog Years yeah. era. Ah. Uh, yeah, so that was a, an incredible thing. You know, we were just blown away because, you know, guys in ACDC, they don't work with anybody. You know, they don't right. help anybody. They don't produce anybody's shit. So I was just like, why is he doing this? You know, and uh, I just couldn't understand. But, I, you know, it was just an incredible experience to be able to do vocals with, you know, one of the kings of rock right on the other side of the glass you know, kind of coaching me on and, um, it's an incredible experience. And, um, and then he, you know, we, 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 we had a deal with KTEL, which is a, you know, a, a commonly known sort of brand, uh, for many, many years, you know, so we had distribution through KTEL and ironically when the album came out, we had a song on the radio and we had ended up with 85 <clears throat> stations in the country that were playing this song in regular rotation. But the album wasn't available to buy anywhere because KTEL went bankrupt. Mm. <laughs> so it's just my whole life has been this way. It's just been <laughs> just full of like, oh, you just missed that, you know. And, you know, that you seems know, like a, a trend, though. A lot. I mean, we've talked to a lot of people, and and you're not the only one that that's happened to. Um, but I bet I bet I got I can rival some. I mean, because I mean, if you roll on into the Velvet Revolver world, and you yeah, know, I mean, I'm, we're going to get to that. My whole life is just narrowly missing start you know comfortable stardom you know i mean just i'm as close to the fire as you can get <laughs> i'd have to agree with that i mean i've known you a long man. time i've seen you go through a lot of things and i'd have to <laughs> agree with man. that yeah it's just you know i've been blessed to, to, to work with some really really great people and to be involved in some great circumstances but you know uh not enjoy the uh the comfort of um you know of success you know financially yeah, <laughs> so yeah it's yeah. difficult yeah. you know as most musicians it's very difficult to make enough money to take care of your family and, and music. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, I feel wealthy in, in experience, you know? Um, so, and that, and that matters to me. I mean, money comes and goes, but, uh, you can't, 
buy the experience that I had with Brian Johnson. You can't buy the experience I had going to Ozfest. You can't buy any of those things. Right. You know, it's um, you know, just things that I'll look back on in my in my final breaths and be like, oh, that was fucking amazing. You know, to tour with Ozzy is your, you know, if you're a rock, if you're a rocker or metal guy or whatever, and you're coming up as a young musician, that's your goal, man. You want to fucking tour with Ozzy. Right. <laughs> you want right. to work with you want to work with a guy from ACDC. Like those are like dreams, you know. So uh I feel very wealthy and experienced, you know, as opposed to uh finances. Um, you know, and and it does matter, you know. I mean, for me it's okay because there's a ton of people that have made a bunch of money in the beginning of their career and then never done anything else or never made music, you know, that music that they made that they made a bunch of money on and early in their career didn't age well and they end up being very embarrassed by their old shit you know right. uh, so so I don't, i'm not embarrassed by any of my old music at all i feel like uh still holds up you know and certainly with atheist i'm it's unbelievable that it's held up for for this long we on our most recent tour in december we toured with a band called cattle decapitation and very current you know very hip young band um they've been around for a while but i mean they have a, a really young audience very progressive um and they didn't know who we were you know, mm -hmm. they were just, uh, and we were playing direct support on a five band bill. And so many nights on that tour, just kids were like, whoa, where did you come from? You know, these 22 year olds were like, who the fuck are you? You know, right. where did you come from? And um, so we just made so many new fans from that tour. That's why it's such a shame that this year is just blown out because had, you know, we've been able to capitalize on that momentum it would have really by now we would be in really really great shape and and, and be set up for some some killer tours but gotta put a year in between it i guess and and uh try to figure this shit out yeah know? and hopefully that's all right just a year I hope, yeah i don't know what it's gonna look like in the future but yeah that's the scary thing it's unknown yeah it really is um so with neurotica you after after the seed album came out you went on and you did two other ones and then <clears throat> you signed with the wwe label right we did yeah we ended up doing a bunch of showcasing uh, we made a second record living in dog years and uh and we did it sort of independently and um felt like there was a lot of good songs in there but we didn't get the same we didn't get the same radio push obviously brian wasn't involved in that second record so we didn't get the same sort of um open door you know when you have brian johnson from acdc like promoting you uh you know the doors open radio stations tend to listen uh when you don't have that then you're just right in the in the, in the group of everybody else trying to you know and, and where whereas paolo is not sort of a legal thing in radio anymore it's still alive and well or it was still alive and well where, well you know, i can we tell you i can tell you that's when i was working with you doing publicity yeah. stuff and Brian's name came up a few times in a couple of my phone calls with radio stations. Yeah, I mean, we, you, but but on Limited Dog Years, we didn't. He didn't produce that record, right. so there was no there was no big name person sort of uh, producing the record. There was no no story behind it like there was on the first one, and so we didn't we didn't get that benefit of of um, of maybe having an opportunity to to be heard over bands around you know. Uh, Interscope or Columbia or whatever mm -hmm. they were, th those bands were getting the radio play because, you know, a, a label like, you know, um, Interscope or Columbia or Atlantic or any of those, they could say, listen, why are you playing this independent band on the radio? They haven't, you know, if you, if you, you know, there's only so many slots on the radio that can, that can, that can, that they can sort of have, you know, yeah. I mean, a radio station has a playlist and, uh, you know, they, it, they would threaten them and say, listen, if you're going to add that band, then we're not going to give you any more of our band. So we would get 
you know, sort of X'd off the list. And, uh, and it was just really, really tough. So we were like, all right, well, let's showcase and see if we can see if we can get a bigger label involved. And so we went out to LA and, um, and showcased at the Viper room, went up to New York, the Brownies and played there, played for a lot of label people. And, um, finally we, you know, the one show that we did at the Viper room, um, had about 60 A&R guys there. It was really incredible. And, and, uh, we ended up pulling the deal out of the WWE decided to put together a rock label called SmackDown records. And, and, um, and they fucking signed us, man. And it was, it was an incredible thing because it was, a they had a unique business model and they had, you know, 10 hours of television a week uh, at that time. Wrestling was very popular. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a great scenario where we felt like, well, we don't, you know, we won't need MTV. We won't need radio. They've got television, you know, television is way more powerful. So it was a, it was a very exciting time. And, um, and to be, you know, to be the only, you know, the first band signed to that label was a big deal. And, um, and so whenever we, we, uh, we were signed, they announced it and everything was great. And then suddenly the, uh, <laughs> the guy that makes their theme music at, at WWE, who was Vince's friend, Vince McMahon's friend for 17 years, decided he wanted to be the president of the label. They had brought in like, you know, really great people from Columbia and from, um, I forget where Ron McCarroll was from, uh, Atlantic or something, but the long, long-term guys that were, that understood the infrastructure of, of radio and, and selling records, you know, so they came out of the gate really, really great. And, uh, and then decided to get, you know, whenever they, <laughs> whenever Jim Johnson, which is the guy that makes all the wrestling theme music and intro songs and all that, when he caught wind of how the label was taken off, and once we'd already been signed, it was announced on AOL, which was a big deal back then, AOL. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then he decided he wanted to. So, so we get a call one day where they were like, uh, "All right, guys, we're not going to put the record out. Uh, we want you to come up here and work with Jim on some theme music." And <laughs> Oh, I wrote geez. a really nasty. I wrote a really nasty letter to Vince McMahon, and I was basically telling him, you know, I, I don't know about you, but we've been eating shit and smiling for a lot of years, and uh, <laughs> we're we're not a wrestling band. We're a rock and roll band. That's what you paid for, you bought and paid for, and you're asking us to go make jingles with the fucking guy that makes your <laughs> jingle music. And uh, I said you wouldn't ask the big show, you know, the wrestler of the big show, to go train with some judo guy or some karate guy. So don't ask me to go in with some fucking jingle maker. And, uh, he you, was, you know what, Kelly, was, that's what I like about you. You always speak your mind. <laughs> he was, he was pissed and intrigued at the same time. So he flew us to Connecticut and, uh, and here we are sitting in a boardroom, a big ass fucking table in Connecticut at the headquarters of WWE and Vince and Stephanie McMahon and Linda McMahon, they all came walking in and, uh, and uh, including that guy, Jim Johnson. And, um, I proceeded to tell him to their face, like, Look, you just paid eighty five thousand dollars for our record. We're a fucking rock band. You have ten hours of television. You, you don't need radio. You don't need MTV. You don't need anybody. This is a beautiful thing. We just need to come out like every, you know, like we're already a big band, and you just didn't know it. And that's the way it needs to happen. And you can't ask me to go in with some guy who's never been on stage in his life, never made a record in his life. You want me to go and and fuck around with this guy and make jingles? I, I no, you know. I mean, so <laughs> Vince was like you know what he, he respected it and uh we ended up putting the record out but as a result it, it made those guys very very angry the the, the jim mcmahon and or jim uh jim johnson the, the jingle guy yeah and uh their television guy was a guy named um kevin dunn and uh he was also against the whole thing and um 
so they were kind of pissed that Vince that I had convinced Vince to to go ahead and move forward with the project. So they, you know, but in the beginning, once he had agreed to put the record out, we were, we were super relieved, and uh, they sent us over to an agency called Evolution Talent, who had in sync and Britney Spears, and they had all these huge artists. It was a big, big agency. So they were like, "Well, uh, you know, we're gonna put you guys out with Fozzie, which was Chris Jericho's band. <laughs> they were a wrestling band, you know. What I mean, right. that was their right. first, yeah. that was the first pitch, and I was like, fuck that.'" We're not touring with some fucking wrestling band. We're not a wrestling band. You know, uh, you guys fucked XFL all up by having fucking wrestlers say, you know, be the announcers for your football games. And that's how XFL got fucking joked out. So, you know, we're not going to fall into that. And, and, uh, you know, if we're going to do something, we need to do big. And they were like, what? And I said, Ozfest. They were like, oh, that's a, you know, that's a big deal. I said, so is this. Right. You know, so is this, man. I Mm -hmm. mean, what, what what other scenario have you ever seen where uh, you know another company starts a label like this and with with this much power and this much money? So uh, not only do we get the Ozfest, but we ended up not having to pay the seventy five thousand that it cost to get on the tour, just nice. to get on the tour, and then eighty that it cost to do the tour. So uh, they ended up sponsoring the tour as a result of my big mouth. And, 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 uh, <laughs> Don't take shit from anybody, <laughs> man. Great, man. So that was an incredible summer, man, and. Um, but by the end of the tour, they had realized, you know, it was a two and a half month tour. I got a call from Linda McMahon at the end of the tour and she was just like, listen, uh, you know, we don't, because the, the, the real people that we had at the label, the, um, you know, that were from labels, uh, you know, that had done great things, you know, they, they resigned once Jim Johnson was the, was going to be the president of the label. Those two guys resigned. So mm. we were really just left with Ozfest and just trying to make, and, you know, we got Rolling Stone to write something very nice about us. And, and uh, we, we, you know, we made a lot of waves out on the tour and we would have been able to sort of carry on with that momentum. But uh, Linda McMahon was like, listen, we don't have any infrastructure. We do not know what we're doing. And they literally gave us all of our, our music back. Well, I said, mean, at least you I got mean, that. They, yeah, how yeah. they spent spent a half a million dollars. Right. Wow. You know, and, uh, I mean, they uh, they had run full page ads for our ads and for our, for our album and huge magazines and um, you know spent uh, just a lot of money on on the band and promotion and so it was just kind of unheard of because typically they they were they were really in a position to keep the record they could have kept it and shelved it and never done anything about you know mm. at least say well we spent a half a million on it it's ours they're not going to be able to put it back out again or nothing so uh but it, you know the, the, you know she was very honest about it and just said you know best of luck and so i you know i was like oh okay well we'll, we'll figure something else out and then two of the guys quit in the band and um at the time they were just you know it was a fraud listen i'm, I'm skipping out on eight years of very frustrating times yeah, playing yeah. tons mm. of shows tons of rejection and, and uh you know everybody's got something to say we were you know we our timing was really bad at the time that neurotica was around being such a straight up rock band you know it was full of limp biscuits and and, and sort of rap rock and all that kind of shit so mm. we were just really outcast in that time so it just didn't and we just didn't there wasn't a place for us and was that, that was a was that a challenge going from atheist to neurotica as far as the writing process i mean not for me but it was it was a challenge for people who were fans of atheists they hated neurotica mm. they hated that i was doing that and um and vice versa anybody that was in a neurotica that heard atheists was like ugh, you know right just two totally different vibes altogether. right yeah neurotica was more mainstream i guess right yeah and and so radio and metal don't go together so if yeah. you're trying if you're on the radio as a rock band and you're a former 
you know, underground metal guy. They didn't, you know, they frowned upon that. So I've always had this polarized fan base, you know, um, that, that I've tried to manage over the years. And, uh, you know, these days as I've gotten older, people are, are a little more, you know, just a little different about it. People have a wider spectrum of, of listening, you know, where it's not such a, such a club, like, Oh man, you, you know, you, if you're into extreme metal, you can't listen to any other music, you know, it's just, it's grown and evolved since then. So, yeah. uh, but it was, it was tough back then. It was really, really hard. And it was, it was hard for me too to sing as opposed to screaming right. um, in yeah. front of me. Mm-hmm. Very, very unnerving. And I just felt like everybody was like, oh, you fucking sell out. You know, that's how I felt in the beginning. It was, so it took a long time for me to get the confidence to be able to, to go out and own it. Um, you know, so by the time we got to Ozfest, I was fully comfortable with everything, and uh, I didn't really give a shit because I just felt like atheist was gone; it was over, and nobody cared. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't have any anticipation of anybody ever remembering the band again. I was proud of it, but I just didn't think that you know it was ever going to have its day again. I just had no idea that it would we would you know be in this position right now, where you know it's the the band's never been bigger right than than we are right now so it's nice you know it's nice to be able to get back out and and see people that are from 15 years old to 55 you know Mm -hmm. that are that are into the band they bring their kids to the shows it's fucking awesome now you had some uh run-ins with a few different bands as far as auditions for lead singer spots right yeah, well, when when Neurotica got done, I came home and and I was just like, oh, you know, what am I going to do now? Uh, it's 2003, and um, I'd spent a year trying to put a new Neurotica together. Uh, we were offered another deal from a, an indie label that uh, they had put up a deposit for the deal, and uh, so I spent seven months putting together a new lineup, and it was cool, but it, you know, it was uh, that deal ended up falling through. And so I was just in my frustration. I was like, oh, you know, I'm gonna, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I saw on, I don't know, it might have been on Coffee Steam or, or Blabbermouth. I don't know if Blabbermouth was around back then. I'm pretty sure it was one of the two uh, where Slash had made a statement about looking for real, uh, a rock singer for a new project that he was doing. But there weren't any real rock singers around anymore. And so I reached out to Doug Kay and I was like, hey, man, I, I you know, I want to send him the Neurotic album. And so he was very reluctant and kind of chuckled it off and said, like, it's fucking Slash, he's in LA, there's going to be a ton of singers, you know, what makes you think you're going to, you know, be able to break through? And I was like, I, you know, shit's some wife's ass like everybody else, you know, and he's looking for a real rock singer, that's what the fuck I am. So uh, I had I remembered that we had a publicist at the time named Lulu um, for Neurotica, and uh, she used to be Slash's publicist, so I knew she still had contact with him. So I reached out to her, and before I could even get it out of my mouth, she was like, oh, my God, Kelly, you'd be perfect. I'm going to send it to Slash. And uh, fucking three days later, I got a call from Slash. He was like, hey, Kelly. Nice. It's like, hey, Slash, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> and uh, he was like, man, you know, me and Duff just sat and listened to this Neurotica record. It's really great. And we listened to the whole thing. And, you know, we've been through, you know, at that point, they'd been through a ton of fucking, you know, demos and singers. And um, he said, what happened to this band? I said, no, we, you know, we. I told him the story and fell through and uh, he was like, great. So he sent me three songs and uh, I went to the studio and did, you know, wrote some lyrics and vocals, sent it back. And and then uh, a few days later after that, they called me to, uh, to go to LA. And, um, and so off I went to LA and uh, ended up with a room and in a room with guns and roses, essentially it was right. Guns, mm-hmm. guns and Kelly. And, and, guns uh, and Kelly. There you go. It was, it was fun. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I think I, I went in probably a little too prepared 
for for their like i think you know those guys were just you know they were coming off heroin and all that and um they had that sort of mystique and uh you know as, as i hung out with them for the whole weekend i felt like it was you know i don't know sometimes when you meet people that have kicked heroin they, they didn't want to kick heroin necessarily they just had to and mm-hmm. uh or kick drugs in, in general you know and, and party and and um I mean, I think they were probably looking for a guy that was a little more reckless than me. But I mean, like I did my audition after the audition. I, you know, I went to LA, went in a room, jammed the three songs that I'd written with them, uh, left the room for a little bit to let them talk amongst themselves. And Duff McKagan came out and said, Hey man, can you stay for the whole weekend and work on some more songs? And I was like, fuck yeah. So, uh, I stayed for the weekend. Uh, yeah. You're not going to say, uh, yeah, no, I got to get back. To well, I didn't have any money though. So <laughs> keep in mind, I, I had to call, I had to call Doug K, the guy who chuckled it off in the beginning and say, man, can you pay for my hotel? And he was like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah. believe fucking slash culture. <laughs> and Doug, you know, Doug, so yeah, yeah. I was like, holy shit. I can't believe that slash, you know, I can't believe a, that he called you and B you're fucking in LA right now with guns and roses. I was like, I know, dude, I can't fucking believe it. <laughs> So, uh, you know, and I never, I didn't tell him anything about atheist, nothing at all. And, and we just had a really great time and Slash was like really into my voice and, and I was super stoked to be there. And, um, you know, they had gone through like, uh, the guy from Buck Cherry and, uh, a bunch of the guy from Lit and, you know, a bunch of different guys. And he was just not into, you know, I didn't need any of that. And, um, so, uh, I was, you know, they had called me back into the studio on, on a Sunday. I went to the studio where they recorded. Uh, welcome to the jungle mm-hmm. and uh it was about 2 30 in the morning they they uh called me about one o'clock and said can you get a ride to the studio and it was really far i was in a bar with some friends in LA. one o'clock in the morning they called you yep wow and said uh can you make it to the studio i was like well i don't have a car or anything so i begged somebody to drive me all the way out there to the valley and uh they dropped me off again i had no money so no credit card or nothing so i walk into the studio and slash is sitting on the edge of the couch working on a solo for this song that him and izzy wrote and uh so he gets done with a solo and they're like, all right, man, we're going to split. And I was like, uh, okay. And so I was left to hear the song, write lyrics for it, uh, go and perform it with their engineers. And, uh, so it was about four 30 in the morning before I got done with everything. And I had no way to get back to my hotel. So I had to call somebody to call the cab and put the, my cab ride on the, on their tab. <laughs> they hazed me essentially, you know, they fucking hazed me. And, uh, <laughs> So, but I made it back, and uh, the next day I went into rehearsal with them, and they dug what I did on the song. And so I left that. I left LA with a really strong feeling that I was going to get this gig, and uh, and it was probably three weeks for three weeks following that that Slash stayed in touch with me, and everything was cool. And then uh, I guess Duff McKagan's wife and Scott Weiland's wife were friends, and mm-hmm. they caught wind that he was going to be splitting from STP, and so that was the end of it for me. Right, right. <laughs> that damn Scott Weiland. Records. I mean, if I'm going to lose a gig, I'd rather lose it to Scott Weiland than, yeah. um, than something else. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. you know, again, I, I never really anticipated even, you know, getting that first call. So, to me, it was just a, you know, it felt good, too, because I've always told people, like, it doesn't matter where you come from. You either have it or you don't, you know? I mean, it doesn't matter whether somebody's a superstar or not. They can appreciate somebody who you know has something unique or different or or of quality and and that was the case with those guys they were super humble and super nice and it was uh the best experience that i had for not getting the gig you know it was still a a great experience yeah at least you have that experience now yeah yeah i mean that's yeah nobody can take that away from you yeah 
going to dinner, you know, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm sitting in a, at a burrito place in LA with three fourths of Guns N' Roses fucking eating, <laughs> like thinking, I can't believe, I can't even, how the hell did I get here? That I, yeah. yeah I, know, I mean, how did this happen? So just, you know, those kinds of things, you know, again, money comes and goes, but, uh, those kinds of experiences you can't buy, you know, no matter how much money you have, like legit experiences where they're seriously considering playing in a band with you. And, right. Um, you know, and Slash is the modern day, you know, a uh, guy that I, I come from so, such a far away place. I never would have imagined, you know, as a singer that, uh, that I would ever be in the, in the, in a league where he would consider having me in his band. So anyway, it was really, really great. But, um, so I, once that was over with and I knew I wasn't going to get that gig, I, I started, that's when I started looking around at the, uh, the atheist albums and, and sort of putting all that together. But in between that, I, uh, um, when we were on Ozfest, uh, Dave, Dave from Drowning Pool had died on right. that tour, and um, so I get a call one day after I had done the, actually before I found out I didn't get the Velvet Revolver gig, they asked me to audition for Drowning Pool. So I did uh, Bodies and um, I forget what the other song, um, Tearing Away, those two songs. Mm-hmm. And I sent it. In the, I don't know, did you hear that, Joe? Yeah, I heard it. And I thought you did a great job on it. It was, it was pretty solid, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but it was like it was too close to Dave, and they were like, "Oh man, it sounds too much like him." I was like, "That's a fucking hit song. What do you want me to do? Rewrite it?" Right. I mean, it's like yeah. bodies on the floor. You know, you got to do it the way uh, that Dave did. And Dave was such a great guy. We became friends on the tour before he died, and uh, so you know, uh, they sent me a new song. We did a new song together, and and uh, so I, I, you know, I I did three songs total with them, and and. So anyway, that fell through, and uh, so I I started putting the atheist thing together, and uh, we were looking at doing shows, and and uh, we had put together the Bakken thing, and then all, all of a sudden I get a call from Gilby Clark, from Guns N' Roses, and um, as per Benji Gordon, the guy that signed us at WWE, and they were putting together this TV show called Rockstar Supernova, yeah. and it was going to be Tom, Tommy Lee, Jason Newstead. Um, and they were going to, you know, it's kind of like American Idol. They were looking for a singer. Yeah, I remember that show. Yeah, you remember that? So, mm-hmm. uh, so I was like, well, man, you know, I appreciate you calling Gilby. I, I, you know, it's an honor. Um, yeah, I have a lot of respect for Gilby Clark. And, and he, I was like, I don't want to come out and do a cattle call. He's like, look, I mean, I got the neurotic album. You know, I think you're a fucking great singer. I, you can skip the cattle call. So off I go to LA again. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, with another I, part uh, of Guns N' Roses. Yeah, odd, isn't it? I mean, it's just a strange thing. Uh, so I, but before I went out there, I had knocked my front tooth out. So, like, literally two days before I'm supposed to go out, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I knocked my front tooth out. So now I'm like, uh, so I called the producers and I was like, is there a way that I can just can I do my audition from here? Like, uh, you know, and they were like, no, you, you know, you got to go out there. And I was at the knitting factory in LA, and uh, so off I go, man. This is my tooth, <laughs> and, uh, and I. I uh, it was a front tooth too, so it was like fucking just super visible. <laughs> Lisping, <and terrible>, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, and and I'm watching everybody sing, and everybody's amazing, and they're beautiful people, you know, and they're all young, and and uh, and, and they're also doing cover songs, and I'm, I'm doing two neurotica songs. I didn't do any cover songs. I didn't want to. I was like, I'm gonna go out and do my shit. So up I go on stage in front of Jason and fucking and those guys and. Um, yeah, I was like, uh, I, I I left there thinking, and the guy before me was Jeff Scott Soto. Do you wow. know who that is? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 
fucking great singer yeah. with a ton of experience. And so I remember thinking to myself, there's no fucking way that I'm going to, and I, I go home that night or I go to my friend's house that night where I was staying, Benji Gordon's house. And, and, uh, we were waiting to see if I got the call back. And so uh, that evening I got the call back. They were like, can you come in again tomorrow? So I go into the next day and Jeff Scott Soto was not there. Wow. He did not get the call back. He didn't like, get the call back. Wow. <laughs> no, he didn't get the call back. Yeah. And uh, so I go in and I, and I, and I did more neurotica songs. And actually when I went up on stage to do my second round of auditions, Jason Newstead asked me to do those songs again. And uh, I was like, those are, you know, those aren't cover songs. Those are actually, you know, my band songs. It was like, oh, it's fucking awesome. So then after the audition, he comes over and he's talking to me and I, I just felt like I had this, you know, huge missing tooth. Like I just was like, <laughs> fuck, you know, why now of all, of all things, I'm going to go through this shit. So, uh, yeah, I, I got down to the final 65 of that shit. Now, the weird thing of that is I, I didn't really, didn't really, I was going to have to move to LA for, for a while. Um, you know, I just had a baby, um, so it was going to be this huge deal for me to have to go to LA and we were talking about like moving out there and I was like, Oh man, I just deep down inside. I didn't really want to do that just for a TV show. And, um, and so I was kind of relieved really because I had, you know, I was going to have to cancel the atheist tour. It would have been uh, just a, a disaster in, in, in terms of my credit, my metal credibility would have been like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do the atheist thing. I'm going to go to LA and okay. do a fucking TV show. It just wouldn't have flown really well <laughs> right and uh so uh i ended up you know we ended up doing the atheist thing and that ended up just being just the best thing so and it carried it carried it's you know i mean that was 2000 uh well let's see 2005 is when we actually kind of started talking about doing it so it's been you know four, 14 14 years of of return um just really great experience didn't so you do a, a song with uh george lynch also I did a, a number of songs with George Lynch. Yeah, when we I were on tour with oh, wow. yeah. We uh we were playing our sound. We were we opened for George Lynch um with Neurotica in uh, my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, a, a club that my dad used to bounce at. So it was really nice. My dad showed up, my mom was there, my aunt and uncles and cousins and everybody were there. So we get done with sound check and I'm coming off stage and George Lynch comes out of the dressing room and he's like, ah, you know, I've been trying to find you. I was like looking behind me like what are you talking to like he's like yeah, uh you know you and Corey glover from in living color he's like i'm putting this new thing together i really would love you know to, for you to sing and i was trying to find you and i said like, i don't think you think you think i'm somebody else and he's like no, no no i i you know i know easy speak i heard it on the radio and i was like get the fuck out of here george lynch you know like how, how do you know how do you know and, and, and you, you don't think about radio rock radio uh, and how powerful that is. Anybody in the country will hear your song. Your song is getting played on the radio. All of a sudden, it really matters to a lot of different people that you never would expect it would matter to. So one thing led to another. We became friends, and uh, he had these songs, and I ended up doing vocals on them. We did three songs together, and he was like, uh, I want you to... I want you to come to California, live in my house, and let's work on a record. And so I was like, okay, uh, that'd be great. And uh, so when I reached out, when I let Doug K know about it, because we were still shopping Neurotica prior to the WWE record. Right. You know, before we had signed, this was like in between there. And um, and so our lawyer said, no, you can't do it because no one's going to sign Neurotica if you're doing a record with George, they're going to want that record. George isn't going to let them have that record. So no, you can't go with George Lynch. And I was like, oh, fuck. damn, you know, and at that time I didn't know that I was going to get the deal with WWE. So, 
to me, I was like, why would I turn down this opportunity to go to California and work with George and blah, blah, blah. And, um, so yeah, but, uh, but it was cool though, because when we were, when we were on Ozfest out in California, George was backstage and he was like, Hey man, I was like, Hey, he's like, what are you doing? I said, we got signed and, uh, yeah, we're on this tour. And he was like, fucking Hey man. So it was really cool. At least I had made the right decision. Right. I guess. I mean, you know, it still would have been nice to, to make a record with George. But, yeah, maybe uh, you can call him up uh, after Atheist and uh, do a record with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does do a lot of things. My career has been crazy, man. I, I just it has really been, man. Insane run, you know, looking back <laughs> on it all. And it's far from over. I mean, it's, uh, you know, now now going out, I, I run into, um, you know, run into people that are at the top of the metal game. Um you know, that, that are, you know, that just have so much respect for atheist and it's nice, you know, to, it, it sucks being old, you know, older, but it's, uh, it's nice when you see, you know, bands like Dillinger's Escape Plan and, and, uh, and, you know, bands that are, the, you know, sort of doing really well, appreciate where you, you know, and shout you out and, and, and say nice things about the band. And, uh, and anyway, just as a musician to be able to make music that matters 30 years later is, you know, it's kind of the goal. Well, you know what else? All those projects that you were just talking about, the one that's still around is Atheist. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot stronger than ever, you know? Mm-hmm. So it really was, you know, the, you know, and that, and that, and everything I did with that band was nothing was contrived. Everything was pure, purely organic and everything that, you know, that we wanted to do and we did it our way. And I think that's, you know, a test to, when I tell young musicians, I'm like, listen, don't listen to anybody. Just do what you want to do. It may take a while, but eventually people will, will understand and get it. And uh, I, I firmly believe that. And Atheist is a testament to that. Uh, you know, when you do things and you and you have the best intentions, not that Neurotica didn't, but we did play a little ball. We did try to be on the radio. We did try to fit into We did cut our hair. We did a lot of things to try to fit into a world rather than have a world fit into us. And right. so, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I, I probably, those are probably some mistakes that, you know, that, um, not, not, not mistakes because I'm, again, they all led to ex- great experiences. I mean, uh, had I not done those things, I wouldn't have been able to work with Brian and, and, and tour with Ozzy and all that. So there were calculated, um, moves that, uh, you know, are arguably, you know, some, some, some led to great things. Some, um, were deterrents, right. but, uh, Listen, man, you got to you got to throw your fucking iron in the fire and hope for the best. You know, you can't sit back and uh, you know be apprehensive, especially in the music business. You remember so, when we went to? Uh, you were talking about getting your hair cut and stuff. You remember when we went to New York yeah. and you and Doug got those? What were they like? Five hundred dollar haircuts? Well, we we had a stylist. I know. Remember they hooked us up with a stylist in New York, and this chick walked us. Well, you were there. What do you mean, fucking? You, you <laughs> I know, and that's what I'm talking too, about. Buddy. What are you talking no, about? No, I didn't. So and, I didn't. So a lot get of listen, people listening will will, will want to know that me and Joe played the band <laughs> together. Uh, there was actually songs written by Brian Johnson. Um, big big yeah. machine, yeah, yeah, big, big machine, machine, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and we played a lot of really great shows, man. I mean, uh, and people really dug that shit too. I mean, it was. Wasn't that weird? It you was know, weird. For me, it was super weird because it was like, it was kind of like playing ACDC music, except it was new and, and uh, there were songs that Brian wrote and uh, how we played this show in Sarasota and a bunch of people came and some lawyers came and, and they were fucking stoked about it. And next thing you know, we were playing CBGBs in New York. Did you know, did I, did you hear about when I first met those lawyers at that show? No. And spilled my drink on them? No. <laughs> you spilled your drink on them? Yeah, well, you, you remember that show. It was a sold-out show, so it was packed. Yeah. And 
I forget, someone came and got me and said, hey, the lawyers are upstairs. You need to come meet them. I'm like, all right. I was with Donnie. Donnie, me and Donnie were walking around. Yeah. So I was going up the steps and I wasn't even drunk or anything. I just had a big beer in my hand and I tripped on the top step and spilled my <laughs> beer all over the, one of the lawyers. And Doug oh, was, man. Doug was standing there and you know, Doug. So he was like, Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> so, so all, all I, I fell on the floor. All I could do is get up and apologize <laughs> and shake his hand with beer dripping down my arm. <laughs> so that that was my first meeting with those lawyers. Yes, we we uh. Joe knows how to make a good first impression. Hey, it was rock and roll, right? Hey, remember that man? I mean, they they flew. Uh, we stayed in a really nice hotel, and that was another adventure that was going to be big, big, a big deal, you know. And those people had signed. I don't know. Remember, we went to that office, and they'd signed all kinds. You of You know what? Man. I think they had something to do with Guns and Roses, actually. Yeah, they're fucking huge law firm. They're just so uh, once again, you know, uh, for me personally, I found myself in this weird scenario. Like, oh, holy shit, you know, we're gonna we're playing CBGBs and all these label people are coming, and um, especially these ones who just saw us in Sarasota. And uh, so, the, you know, they hooked us up with the stylist, and they, and I, <laughs> I remember being backstage at CBGBs, getting ready to play, and a guy named Gordon Conrad, who ended up being the guy that signed atheist whenever i put the the three albums back out again he ended up being the guy and uh i just remember him you know he only knew me from the underground and have long hair and this and that he walks back and he sees like this chick is doing my hair and this other chick is like how, fixing my shirt he just looks at me like i'm such a sellout you know and I <laughs> well like, i mean that really oh, was man. so not us though no you know? not at all but I mean, we were again we were trying to that's what i guess that's my point is you know, when you try to fit yourself into something as opposed to making people fit into your shit, you know, in hindsight, as a, as a, you know, as a 30 year guy, I would tell young people, like, just do what you want to do. Yeah. Don't fucking listen to anybody. But it, it is, you know, even with all that we played and they were like, man, if you guys were 22 years old, we'd sign you right now. Yeah. And that was the end of it. <laughs> yep. That was it. That and was then it, I don't man. know what the hell happened when we got back. <laughs> so you, but... Yeah. It was just, we, you know, I mean, we somehow we ended up being a four piece. I remember that for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you and I both know the reasons why that shit didn't go down the way it should have. But yeah. uh, you know, uh, it's just you know, it's just a tough game, tough business. You know, I mean, and, and the the people that push the pens, that write the checks, are you know, are usually wrong about things. I don't, I don't think that big. I think Big Machine. If we'd have made a record, it would have been badass. I, mean, I it think was so. Really good, really good songs, and it you know, people responded to that music in a way that I was, I didn't really want it to, you know, I didn't want it to go well, but it re really well. I was like, God damn it. I worked so hard on all these songs and, you know, in, you know, through, through two bands and, and these songs are the one here's, here's where I'm going to end up. Like I'm going to, you know, because the lyrics were, you know, they were very ACDC ish. Uh, the music was super simple and super, you know, very rootsy rock and roll. And I thought, wow, this is where I'm going to end up, huh? So, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a fun short period, though. I enjoyed oh, it. Oh man, we had a, we had a good time, great shows, and uh, yeah, just you know, it was an honor, obviously, to have Brian, um, you know, have us come be the band and and uh, and have me be the singer and, and you know, singing his stuff. But it was you know definitely a stretch for me, uh, way outside my comfort zone. But uh, you know, it was, it was, see it was that cool. was that was my uh, like your Guns and Roses moment. Like, how'd you get there? That was my. How'd I get here with Brian Johnson? Right on. Yeah, that was the first there, time man. I met him. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Oh, I, I, I couldn't remember. You, did, you didn't spill, spill your beer on him, did you? No, just the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible. So, you know, these are all things that, that, that you know, well, there's a lot of people say, you know, uh, well, you know, if you've, if you've done all these great things, how come you're not rich? You know, it's like, well, it doesn't work like that. Yep. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that you watched on television back in the day that are not rich, yeah. <laughs> that live in three bedroom apartments, uh, that, you know, that live month to month. I mean, musicians are, are the most stepped on worse than cocaine, you know what I mean? Stepped mm -hmm. on just and, and used and, and, you know, and, and just put through the ringer and put through judgment and. Uh, it's just really, really hard. I think even harder, harder than being a, in, in movies and stuff. Movies, people just immediately hear your song and judge it, you know, and, and uh, say no, you know, yeah, you're, yeah. you're this, and I don't like the way this guy looks, and you should be wearing this, and your hair should be this way, and it's like fuck you, you know. Um, maybe it's that way in Hollywood. I don't know, but it's it's definitely a, a tough game, and um, and it's a young man's game too. So you know, and at that time I was only maybe I don't know, shit. Like how old were you then? I can't remember. It was like we were in our 30s, I'm like, right? I'm like two, three years older, younger than you. So yeah, we were in our probably mid 30s, early 30s. Yeah, I think I was like 38, and you were probably like 34, 35. Yeah. So, but uh, you know, which wasn't that goddamn old, right? You know, um, but but it, but in the music industry, it is. And yeah. So and those people are like, yeah, if you were 22, we'd sign you right now. Great fucking <laughs> band. Well, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> right. Like who cares? You know, like. It's good. And and how can you not sell a record that Brian Johnson wrote? You know, like come yeah, on. You, yeah. God, and at that time, ACDC did not do anything for a long time. Yeah, that's that why was Brian before that their music. Black Ice album. So they yeah, had that long stretch. They, seven years they had, and then Brian was so frustrated and so irritated because they was taking so long that he put these songs together, and that's how that shit fucking part of it. You know, they had yeah, naked yeah. schoolgirls before that, but uh, but that was his reason for sort of wanting to to move forward with those songs and and put a band together and uh, yeah, so it was, it was cool. But again, we got to play CBGBs before it closed, which yep. you know, I got, I got to pee in that disgusting bathroom. You didn't like the bathroom <laughs> of CBGBs. At least you didn't have to take a shit. <laughs> I would never shit in that, but that bathroom was on another level. I mean, there's pictures of it in magazines. Yeah. That bathroom. <laughs> I mean, when I peed in there, I, I mean, I just imagined David Bowie throwing up in that toilet and Mick Jagger and Man. Blondie and, you know, just all the, because it essentially had two urinals and a toilet. That was it. Mm. Imagine that the, back in the day, the Ramones and fucking everybody's played there. Everybody peed and shit in there. And that toilet was up on a pedestal. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, it was up on <laughs> with, a with no doors, like a throne, yeah. like a king's throne. <laughs> Another experience that no one can take away from you. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, that's invaluable as hell, you know. And uh, there was no, there was no stall on it either. So if you were sitting on that throne shitting, everyone was watching. And there was no door on the bathroom, wide no. open. Just no. walk down the steps. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was fucking crazy. But man, what, remember when we were there and little Steven was there? Yeah, yeah, I remember. That was nuts, man. We were walking through the club and little Steven walks by. It's like, holy fucking little Steven. So I don't know, you know, things like that are nice, you know. I mean, when you look back on, on your career and for highlight moments, you know, those, those are, you know, those are those cool moments that, uh, you know, it's hard to put together music that matters enough to somebody to, to make them, you know, pay for you to be able to go to New York and, and, and just do all these things. So you remember Stu know, walking around New York with that big ass map out of his back pocket, a big ass, what that map he would carry around sticking out of his back pocket. Uh, do you remember that? I don't. Uh, a map? yeah, Stu, 
Remember Stu? I remember Stu. Of course, I remember Stu. Yeah. But I, I don't remember him having a map in his back. Pocket. Yeah, he always he had that map sticking out of his pocket. Donnie and I were cracking up on that. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Stu was a piece of work. He was <laughs> good guy though. But he's... Yeah, good guy. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. So now, now you're back with Atheist. What do you think uh, your plans are once everything gets opened back up? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, a new record and. Um, you know, we were, we're, we're putting together, you know, our ideas. I have a lot of new guys in the band. Um, that I'm super excited about it's literally the best lineup that I, the, the lineup that I just took out on the, on the last American tour with cattle, um, is they, they, uh, they're just, they're young. They're three of the guys are from Berkeley and, um, they're, they're between like 23 and 28 years old and just really super talented. And then the, um, the other guitar player, Chris Martin is like uh 30 and he's kind of been with me since 2012 and me and Steve. And, and, um, so Steve Flynn is still in the band, but Steve doesn't like to tour. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we kind of came up with a plan to find an understudy and, uh, and that's Anthony Medaglia. And, uh, man, it took a lot of years to find somebody that was able to play Steve Flynn's drum parts. He just plays in a very strange way. It's not that he's the most technical guy on the planet. It's just that he plays in a way that very few people can sort of duplicate. Right. And uh, it's very difficult and complex and, and also very feel orientated. It's not to a click necessarily. So you really have to play with the band. And so there's a lot of complicated parts, but there's no click track. So, uh, so it makes it very, very difficult to find somebody. Well, Anthony just nailed it. And, um, I mean, literally I didn't even meet these guys before we did the tour. Um, I, uh, they ended up, I, I flew up to, um, to Atlanta and we had three days rehearsal and we went off to did, and those guys did all, they're just so, you know, they read and write music. They're the graduates of Berkeley and they're just, you know, it's just a different level of musicianship that kids have these days. Than, than I had select a selection of back in the day. So it was just super refreshing. And um, when we got out on tour, the singer for Cattle Decapitation was a, was a big atheist fan. And he was kind of reluctant because Steve wasn't going to be on the tour. Steve had an appendicitis mm. um, and wasn't able to do the tour. So Anthony ended up doing the tour. We'd already had the tour booked. And, and then, so there was kind of this dispute about, well, I don't know, you know, it's just, just Kelly's the only original member and blah, blah, blah. So when we went out and played, the very first show we played, he sat behind that drummer, Anthony, and, and he was just blown away. Went on his Facebook the next morning and said, fucking the new atheist is legit. You guys got to come awesome. see this band. And, and uh, yeah, and they, they played this material better than I think maybe we played it back in the day, to be honest. I mean, um, just really tight, very precise. And when that music's played correctly, it's powerful as shit. And uh, it was really exciting. And, and um, so, yeah, I just uh, can't wait to get back out with those guys and can't wait to make a record with them as well. Well, that's good because, you know, a lot of bands these days that don't have the original members, one or two of them, and then yeah. they just, it's like a cover band. You know what I mean? It's definitely not that. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's not even not even like that at all. It's a, you know, um, and, and the thing about it is, you know, me being obviously twice their age um a lot of the younger people that were watching us on that tour i don't know i just guess seeing all the young guys around me nobody really kind of put two and two together that um you know that i was fucking 51 years old you know right um and uh, and the band was 30 years old you know older than all of them they thought we were kind of like a new band at the merch booth you know people were like well did you guys just come out? And we were like, no, right. how old are you? And like 22. And I'm like, yeah, well, we've been around since eight years before you were fucking born. And they were just blown away by it. And, uh, and, and, and for me, it was really cool. You know, we opened with a song called on a slay, which I wrote when I was 16 years old. And, and, uh, 
man, just right out of the gate, you know, that everybody's just like, holy shit. And, and, uh, it, it was just hitting like as if it was written 16 months prior as opposed to, you know, 30 years prior. Right. And, uh, just, uh, I don't know. You just can't put a price on that. You know, it's really, really a great feeling to, to, to watch things work and, 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 uh, sort of be in, in the position that I'm in, you know? So again, yeah. while I'm not rich and, you know, not rich and, and wealthy and well off, uh, still very grateful for, uh, for the opportunities that are afforded to me from, uh, from things that I did a long time ago. And so sure. I just want to kind of pick up from that and make a really, really blistering new record with these young guys and, um, and, uh, you know, keep it in the spirit of atheist and then really kind of take it a step further. And, you know, Steve's going to play on the record and he's just not going to do a whole lot of touring. And, uh, so we've got a really nice situation. We had it really set up and great until this fucking virus came along. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, so now we're just kind of sitting and, and waiting, but in the meantime, we're, we're, you know, we're all individually working, we're using technology and, and, uh, and able to, you know, I'm able to really put together ideas and send them to those guys and they work on them and, and develop them as well and until we can get in a room together and and uh and actually hash them all out and uh try to get you know the new record out we, we hope to, to have it out by the end of this year but it's not going to happen so it'll be a 2021 thing yeah <laughs> but uh you know we the uh your, your european tour we we're supposed to start september 1st um is likely to be postponed um it hasn't been officially announced yet but it's probably the case because as americans we're not allowed to go to europe so, yeah horrible so yeah hopefully, hopefully so, next year it'll be a little bit better <laughs> yeah everybody just keeps their damn mask on and keep your mask on yeah just wear a damn That's mask a <laughs> buy an atheist mask it sucks but well you joe we've definitely had a lot of uh times together i mean um you know you you were uh you know we were we were uh, pretty pretty tight friends for a long time before you moved away remember uh, i used to come kick your ass at madden at your shop you did. Yeah. You did. Yeah. I, you know, I haven't played Madden much. Have you played Madden recently? I have not. Not in a few years. Damn, it's, oh, it's really good now. It's, uh, it's so much better than it was back then, but uh, I'm not very good at it anymore. These do you, kids are fucking do you have a system? <laughs> do you have like an Xbox or yeah. PlayStation? Yeah, yeah. What do you have? I've got the new, I got the new Madden. I got Xbox One. And uh, when I go on there to play the Madden, it's, man, it's, like, it's like real football. I'll tell you what. Really. I'll tell you what. Send me your yeah time. yeah. Send me your gamer tag. <laughs> all right. Oh yeah. Yeah Are yeah. You still playing? Well, I've got an Xbox One, and when the new Madden comes out this year, let's both okay. get it, and we'll start playing some Perfect. Madden. Yeah, because you'll be you'll be new to it as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And we can see how a couple of old dogs deal with the new Madden. But see, it's not going to be fair because you're going to have uh, Brady on your team no, no. now. <laughs> yes, I will, and Gronk, <laughs> and Gronk. <laughs> what kind of pickups were those, huh? Oh man! And that's for, for people that don't know, you and I are both big Buccaneer fans. So I always oh, ha- we man, couldn't just... play Bucks against Bucks. So I had to be the Eagles when we used to play. Because <laughs> I had to be the Bucks. Yeah, because you always, you wanted yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, man, you know, I'm so frustrated that we have probably one of the best teams we're ever gonna. I mean, I've been a fan since I was a kid since '79, and uh, to have Gronk and Brady on our team, and to have this fucking virus show up. Right. Where we just may not have football just infuriates me, man. And it's just typical. Again, it's just like that's why my life is <laughs> everything that goes with it. Oh, look at this, it's gonna be great. Mm, maybe not. You know. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> but yeah. uh yeah, if if we can play if we can have some football this year, it's gonna be good for the Bucks, I think. Um as long as he doesn't get hurt. I mean, if he gets hurt, the Bucks are gonna be in bad shape. 
because they they bet they put all the chips on that. Watch so. him get the virus. <laughs> well, he's Tom Brady, so you know the virus will spare him. Yeah. He's, he's the chosen one. <laughs> I, I just caught before it came up to do this show. I caught a little bit of the baseball game. You know, baseball open tonight, and that yeah. and that was uh, how was it? it? You know, as far as watching it on TV, it was pretty similar. Um, but I could imagine for those players how weird it had to be because they're you know, of course, the seats were empty. Everybody yeah. in the dugout was wearing masks, but the only people not wearing masks were the players on the field. I would imagine it's very difficult for them because they're not allowed to spit or anything. So, you know, oh, yeah. when you grow up playing baseball from a little kid, you know, you're spitting all the time and uh, through college, you're spit, spit, spitting and everybody's spitting or chewing or but something, you, you know. I mean, you know how it is, too. I mean, same as playing a, on stage, you feed off that energy from the crowd. And I imagine the athletes do the same thing. No question. I, I would. I would imagine. I would imagine there's probably um, pros and cons to it. Um, for a pitcher, it's probably a little easier uh, because the, he's not having to try to throw the right pitch when everybody's like, Rah! yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, you know, and a two strike, you know, three and two count, you know, and the bases loaded. Everyone's standing Rah! up. Everyone's yelling and screaming, and you're like, "Fuck! Don't let me throw this ball, you know, the wrong way." And uh, so it's <laughs> a little easier for a pitcher. And I, I don't know; it'd be interesting to see. I, I'm sure that you know it's uncharted territory for for all those guys, and it's going to be that way when we go on stage again. I'm going to look out into the crowd, and I'm going to be looking out into a bunch of masks, you know. And um, that's re- that's super fucking weird, you know. Yeah. Um, the idea of live music and how that's going to look in the future is is puzzling to me. I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know how we ever do meet and greets again. I don't know how we ever do. Uh, yeah, how are you going to feel about that? You personally, I'm, I mean, are you going to be? No, uh, I'm not hugging anybody or shaking anybody. Going to be uncomfortable. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't lose my life over over it. I mean, I can you know be friendly and everything, but we're not, you know I'm a hugger and I'm you know I'm I'm that guy that likes to shake hands, hang out with everybody, and talk to everybody. But it's going to be at least for a couple of years, it's going to be different, you know, or it's going to have to be at a distance. And, um, but listen, if we can, if we can still get back out there and play music and, and, um, and, and do what we do, I, you know, it, it's okay. I mean, I think the kids will appreciate the just see, I think we're going to have a whole new appreciation for everything when this all kicks back in again, and, you know, live music, live sporting events, um, you know, gatherings of, of all kinds. I mean, we never, nobody could have imagined that we would be in this scenario. Like, uh, this is a third world weird thing that, you know, we've always seen on television in China, people wearing masks and, and pandemics and things like that. Just it's never seemed like something we would ever have to go through. Yeah. And, well, uh, I, I yeah. think it all goes back to how we're treating it, how we're handling it. But no question. Yeah. I mean, I got, I, I'm up here in uh, Myrtle beach area in South Carolina now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just had bike week. They still had bike week. And I'm, I, after the show, I'm going to text you a picture of the the big bar out here, biker bar. Uh, just, it was going off. I mean, they had yeah, no masks. No masks. Yeah, they, they don't care. Yeah, they don't care. Ridiculous. I, I just, you know, I don't know what part of, you know, there's not ever a day that you can pour gasoline and put put fire to it and it won't catch on fire that's science that's it's just the way it is and this virus people need to understand that that virus doesn't care about democrat republican doesn't no. care uh, whether you want to go back to work whether you want to party it does not care yeah. it is it is one plus one equals two always it will right. always equal two and um and you can fucking skew it any way you want to but until everybody puts the mask on and everybody 
you know, until we stifle this thing, we have a, 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 a vaccine that we can actually depend on. I mean, you got to think about the flu vaccine. I've still never gotten the flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people haven't gotten it. Um, you know, and it's not, it's only 70% reliable. So, I mean, you know, how long has that been around for a couple of decades more? Well, people um, get the vaccine and still, be, and they still get the flu too, you know? It's, that's happened to me. Correct. Yeah. yeah, absolutely correct. And uh, so this isn't, this is the new, this is the new, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, at 51, it'll probably last my entire, the rest of my life, you know, where there's going to be this, this worrisome sort of nature of, uh, of COVID and um, hopefully nothing else comes, you know, behind it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, never anticipated this thing happening, but um, yeah, it's just, you know, uh, but there also is this sense that people got, you know, we can't just stop living. Right. Um, we, we, we've got to find a way, but the way is for everybody to have compassion and empathy and understand that, uh, we've got to do all this together. We've got to pull together, but that's why having a divisive leader like we have right now in a divisive administration, regardless of how you feel, you can't deny that it is, there's a divisiveness in this country that has to do with politics. So no matter what side you're on left or right, uh, you can't deny the divisiveness and that's not what we need right now. We, right. you know, we, 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 yeah, need, we need to be united. We do. And that's kind of what America is all about. We've always mm-hmm. been this country that, you know, when the, when the towers came down, we, we pulled together. And that was the only time in my lifetime that I felt like super patriotic and super um, vengeful to, towards anybody that was coming at America. You know, I, I got a fucking flag tattooed on my leg. I was like, man, I was, you know, I was pissed that somebody had done that to those towers and, and, um, and, and attacked our country that way. And, um, you know, I just hope that, uh, hope that, Hopefully now that Trump has sort of put on a mask and sort of said, "Look, all right, everybody needs to wear a mask," you know, and, and the, the, I don't care why he's doing it or, or how long it took him to do it. At least finally he did it, and now everybody can go. All right, this is the only way we're getting out of this. This is the only way that we can get back to any sort of sense of normalcy. Right. Is everybody's got to wear a mask and, and and social distance for for a long time, and uh, and stick to it. It's not a conspiracy and it's really frustrating to be on social media these days and um yeah i see you get fired up every now and then (laughs) every now and then yeah Yeah, every every hour and then (laughs) irritated as shit on facebook and yeah my wife is just like why do you why do you get so involved I, i can't help it i it's 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 hard for me to watch somebody spread bullshit uh, when I know it's bullshit and, and, and spread it around. And that's why we're in this case because there's so much misinformation out there. And, yeah. you know, and, and I, I just say to people like, listen, if you broke your arm and you went to the hospital you and, the, and they said, listen, your arm is broke, you're going to have to wear a cast. You would say, well, listen, let me call my friend on Facebook and have him have a look at it first right. <laughs> because, you know, <clears throat> he's going to have a better idea than you, doctor, of whether or not I need a cast or not or whether it's really broken, you know. Perhaps it's just a fracture and you're just overstating it. You know, I mean, that's how dumb it is. Like, you know, for people to, to deny science the way they're denying it and, and, and pat everybody else on the head like they're stupid and they're the smart ones, you know. Yeah. And we're watching it unfold right now. We knew when, <clears throat> when everybody started opening back up again. I know, I'm sure you knew it. I knew it. I was like, it's, it's going to fucking happen again. Mm-hmm. It's gonna I happen think everybody knew it. Time. Everybody except the, the decision makers, you know, yeah, I mean, the people that, that allowed that shit to happen, the governors and everything. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I think there are, there's a constituency of people that, that really were naysayers about this. Oh, this is just, 
bullshit. You know, this is just the flu. It's like cold. Everybody will get past it. Mm. You know, they, they should go spend some time in intensive care in any hospital in America. And, and, and I think that if everybody had to spend a couple of days in that scenario, that they would have a whole new respect for, for what this virus does to people because it's, you know, yeah, you don't, you don't know how it's going to affect you because it could give you the sniffles or, or it could kill you. So you don't know. You know? That's right. Yeah, and and that's that's scary in itself. And there's a lot of things that we don't know about that virus. Right, um, and, and that's where people get sort of thrown off about science. Science is, you know, science is is subject to change. You know, when when you're dealing with a brand new virus, something that's never been seen, that science has never seen before. Well, yeah, in, in the first three months of it, you're going to think, you know, science uh, the the. Uh, the experts are going to be like, okay, here's the deal. And then three months and then as they learn more about, okay, now, he, now here's the deal. Everybody goes, Oh, you were fucking wrong. Right. You said three months ago, it was going to be this. Well, you know, that is, I mean, we're in a, we're in uncharted territory here. So yeah, nobody's going to be able to fully predict the, uh, you know, what, the, what this, the, you know, what COVID is able to do, but now we're, you know, we're four or five months into it. They're having a real understanding of, of just how how bad this can be for people, and we're seeing the you know sort of the after effects of of uh, you know a lot of things happening to even young people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of effects of uh, people's livers and, and lungs, and, and uh, yeah. So it's just it's a, it's a crazy time, man. I mean, tell, tell you what, whether you like Trump or not, he sure got a shit hand in his hands right now, doesn't he? Oh yeah. He's almost in a no-win situation. No, I I can't. You know, I don't think. And it's it's amazing that Biden would even want to be president, right? uh, (laughs) Anybody would want to be president, like, and to inherit this madness. Uh, But on the flip side of it, anybody with a little bit of a little bit of intelligence can say, "All right, listen. No matter what happens, I'm not going to handle it that bad." Right, right. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be like it's just going to disappear. It's just yeah. going to go away. <laughs> no, like, it definitely you know, could have been handled be better. Smart. But I, I think no matter who is in there right now, this it, it's a no-win situation for them. Well, I listen. You have to look at how Obama handled the fucking SARS and all that stuff. I mean, that, we didn't even know it was happening. You know, and we lost some people. Um, you know, to that. But there was a there was a team. There was a plan, and it and and, and everybody stuck with it. And they and they listened to science, and we got past it without anything shutting down and, and this is a testament to when you have somebody who's who's not qualified for the job um who's somebody who's a, a narcissist who's really only concern is himself and how he looks and um you know again i i'm i i don't know how you guys feel about politics so i'm not trying to bash your like opinions or whatever but but uh but it's you know yeah there shouldn't be any politics involved in this in right. this pandemic yeah. and that that should be the the, the takeaway from all of this so regardless of what side of the aisle you vote for you know never deny science never deny you know um you know what 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 we what we know to be to, to be the chaos virus is uh, an unpredictable thing you have to respect it and you have to listen to the people that actually understand it not just opinions from politicians who are upset right. about the fact that the stock market is sucking um, you know, that's, that's not, and now, you know, the, the idea of sending my kids back to school, like, what the fuck are we talking about here? You know I mean? Uh, that's that, 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 that kind of, that kind of thing is where I have a, a real problem with this administration. Like just you're, you're, there's no way that any prior president would have ever sent our children into a scenario like this, um, you know, with no plans. You know, like, well, you know, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. You know, I mean, that's I mean, essentially what they're doing. I don't, you know, you point two percent of children, that's 14,000 kids dying. I don't want that one of them to be my child. Right. You know, mm, I mean, no, no, I don't, I don't, 
You know, when you're talking about, you're talking about, you know, women shouldn't have abortions because, you know, every, every life matters. Well, what about the 14,000 kids you're willing to sacrifice right now just so you can get the stock market back, so you can get the economy rolling again? You know, and uh, there's just a special way of, you know, the things that should have been done, the things that have been done now should have been done from the beginning, from yeah. February, yeah. January. And we wouldn't be in this position. So Agreed. I disagree that, 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 you know, that, you know, Trump's being dealt a bad hand. He dealt himself a bad hand. He, he had a great hand. And he, he sort of uh, said, give me some more cards. And those cards are <laughs> sucking, you know. And, uh, and we're all, you know, subject to his losses. And uh, so here we are. And uh, so I just hope that from this point forward, that everybody can get on the same page and we can all agree that, all right, let's listen to Fauci and, and, and the gang. And, and, the, and they're not always going to be correct, but they're going to be far more correct than than Jim Johnson or fucking any of these or whatever that uh, all these senators and and then Pelosi and all those them as well they don't they don't know they don't know what the hell's going on with this just listen nope. to science and uh, let's get past this let's move on so we can have our life back you know? yeah I agree you know? yeah amen See, it can happen yes <laughs> can, the world uh, needs and, to listen yeah. yeah I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to inherit this presidency no. oh Jesus nope what a disaster. What a disaster. And how, how do you, you know, there really is, uh, you know, at this point, you know, we can't even contact trace because no, it's so no. out of hand. You yeah, can't even, yeah. we don't have the time, you know, there's people waiting two weeks for a test. So if you feel like you have COVID and you took a test and it took you two weeks to get your test back, think of all the people you're in contact with. So there's no way to really, you know, um, keep it under control as we could have in the very beginning back when, you know, we were like, Oh, there's only five people in America that have it. I yeah. remember that. I remember the very first person in Sarasota that got it. Mm -hmm. And now it's just like, it's just out of control. And our, yeah. I, you know, I got, a, I got into an argument today with a guy from the UK who was like, wow, I can't, I can't believe that. Uh, are you there? Yeah, that was yep. my computer. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, that, that, that was arguing with me about how COVID is fake. And I was like, where are you from? He's like, I'm from the UK. I said, well, I don't know about you, man, but I'm in the epicenter. You know, Florida is literally one of the worst places on the globe for this infection right now. Yeah, so, what do we have? Like 10,000 new cases today? Yes. Today. That's crazy. 1,000 deaths for two days in a row in the country. Um, you can't just ignore that. You can't, you know, uh, and you can't just be like, okay, everybody, just uh, kids back to school and uh, the teachers are going to start dying. Great teachers. We already don't have, you know, a, a, you know, a large sort of stockpile of great great um you know uh, instructors and, and school teachers and now we're going to go kill them off i mean <laughs> yeah. i mean that's what's going to happen the, the kids may not uh, suffer that much but you know you're going to pass right. it on pass it on to the teachers and... Miss, and Mrs. Oh. Miss mary johnson from you know social studies is going to fucking die right. and the kids will be like wow you know and uh, but I, I think that everybody's on the, you know a lot of people are on the wrong side of history that when we look back on this 20 years from now if, if i'm still here we're going to look back and realize the you know the mistakes that have been made in the process on, on both sides of the aisle Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think that, uh, and one of the most important things that, uh, that, it, that we could do right now is our, this administration needs to help everybody survive because nobody has any money right now. You can't yeah. shut down all these businesses and then not, not be there and give all your wealthy friends and their businesses, you know, the fact that Kanye West got two fucking million dollars in COVID relief. I didn't hear that. Really? Fuck. Yes, he did. His well, he is going to run for president, right? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> No, 
was not the mental illness on display. And that's sad, you know, it's sad that, that, uh, it's not being addressed as such. And everybody kind of chuckles about it and makes fun of him and this and that, but that guy's mentally ill right now. And he's having a manic episode on live television. I don't know if you saw that, his, Mm -mm. his, uh, president. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. What was that? You didn't see it? No. Oh, it was embarrassing. It was not embarrassing. It was painful to watch because you're watching somebody who's literally mentally ill have a breakdown on live television talking about Harriet Tubman. Um, you know, he, he said some shit about Harriet Tubman about how she, you know, she should have, she should have, uh, done more for the black people. Uh, <laughs> like blaming, uh, you know, he said he wanted to divorce Kim Kardashian two years ago and, <clears throat> and he started crying saying he wanted to abort his baby and he's literally crying right. in front of him. Oh yeah, dude. It's, it's could, on could you, could you imagine him and, uh, Trump debating? <laughs> <laughs> that's like dumb and dumber you know you know no it's a <laughs> i can't i you know i i it's painful to, to, to watch him speak either yeah. one of them really uh, <laughs> so i i'm i, I just can't uh, intellect is is a is a dying a dying entity in this country right now it's tough um, well hopefully to... out of all this you make some so great music yeah. <laughs> well you know speaking of that and you know in closing of all this one of the great things that will come out of this is a renaissance of uh, of art oh yeah that uh, mm-hmm. you know that never in our never in living memory have all artists and all performers been shut down like just shut down and everybody is at home stuck at home and so it's a lot of creativity at home with a lot of time so I think that in the five years sort of following this virus we're going to see a huge amount of music and a huge amount of paintings and and it'll be a it'll be a period that 60 years from now people will look back on as the sort of the covid area era yeah you know, like i agree post, mm-hmm. post covid era renaissance of music another thing that's gonna be weird is everybody's gonna go out on tour at the exact same time <laughs> Well, so, you know yeah. how, how tickets are going to be sold, and you know everybody's everybody's going on. Everybody's going to want to leave, you know, with, within reason. But I mean, certainly far more. You know, there used to be sort of a an in and out circulation of artists and albums and album cycles and touring cycles. Now, once the gates are lifted, everybody goes out at once. So then, who do you go see? Yeah, uh, you know, everybody's being like, "Oh, I'd love to go see this," but there's ten other tours happening. Um, you know, I know that we're chomping at the bit and the moment they fucking raise the gate, we're, we're out, we're, we're going to go out and do it. And, um, you know, we've had our tour booked, this particular European tour has been booked since the beginning of, of this year. And, um, it's been postponed once now postponed again. Uh, but we will eventually get this fucking tour done. And when, when that happens, everybody's going to go out on the road at the same time too. A lot of big artists too. I think, uh, they're going to be competing. A lot of big package tours are going to be competing with each other. And, uh, it might actually benefit the consumer. Because you're not going to be able to charge $150 for your ticket because fuck you, I can go see fucking, you know, some, this other tour for $75. Right. Mm-hmm. So to uh, create a competition that could benefit the consumer, which would be nice, you know. Uh, but once again, a, a slight to musicians because we already lost album sale money. You know, there's already labels that are, you know, making bands, you know, sign 360 deals where labels are getting, you know, part of their merch, part of their touring part of the, you know, most of their album sales, you know, so the, you know, at the end of the day, musicians will still suffer, (laughs) but the consumers will at least be able to get cheaper ticket prices and yada, yada. But, uh, you know, if you look at Spotify and this and that, you know, the the way that the way the music industry is, is, you know, sort of molded into this new business model, it never benefits to the artist. No, it benefits the, the ties, but, uh, 
yeah, you know, we'll get through it and we'll have fun. But uh, I look forward to hearing the, the music because, uh, you know, a lot of brilliant people sitting at home right now with a lot of time in their hands. And I think, you know, on an artistic level, that's great. You know, um, it, it should should lead to some really, really good art. You know? Yeah. Well, there should be, a lot, like you said, a lot of good music. New Atheist record. Yes, sir. So it's going to be, <laughs> let me ask you this. So you might not even know, but is this going to be the last Atheist record or? I mean, I hope not. I mean, yeah. I, uh, I certainly, you know, wouldn't put a cap on it. I, I think it'll okay. be, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, hopefully I, I you know, I'm fucking, I got another 15 summers in me and, uh, you know, just gonna keep going, friends, right? 15 summers I got left. I'm going to make them, make them all good. Yeah. You know, um, no, I, I'm, I feel like I'm writing some of the best stuff I've ever written in my life right now. And, um, having this studio set up at home enables me to <clears throat> not have to deal with three or four other people. I can really put, you know, time into, my ideas and and actually record them in a way that i can present them to other people and, yeah um writing a lot of kinds of music as well and <clears throat> so no I, I think uh as long as somebody will keep writing a check for a record i think we'll make them you know yeah, uh, yeah. A lot and, of music. Any, any chance for another neurotica album in the future uh i don't you know i don't think that would matter to anybody i don't i don't know that no. that would age as well as as uh just concentrating on atheists right now yeah, well, I just think, uh, you know, I certainly would love to do it, but I just think that I don't know that Neurotica was a band that made enough of an impact to right. where it wouldn't to matter, and it wouldn't matter the way that Atheist mattered. And if I'm wrong, then I'd love that. You know, I'd certainly love to make that. But I, you know, I also did a, a record with um, Stones of Madness, um, mm -hmm. which was kind of a very Neurotica esque, but a little more contemporary, I guess. Uh -huh. um, you know, so I, not to, I, I would probably be more likely to start a new band that was kind of like that. You know, that was in that that vein, right. but it would be a different, uh, you know, a different name probably. I, you know, but listen, who knows? Like five years from now, Neurotica may make a resurgence and everybody may suddenly be like, those records were amazing. Right. You guys have to come back and make a new record. I'm like, fucking let's do it. You know, if somebody would ask me, you know, five, you know, 10 years out, I mean, it took 17 years for Atheist to get back to, to make a new record. So, you know, I'm certainly within that time frame right now. Neurotica's been gone, you know, essentially for, you know, 15 years. So if right. five years from now somebody suddenly said, oh, you know, these records really matter, and, and music sort of was in that direction, you know, and the timing was right, then uh, yeah, I would fucking fix that. But now, obviously, I don't want to go out and sound like Don Dockin, you know. Right, oh, right. you got to know when it quits. Yeah, you know, singing is far more difficult than screaming. So, um, <laughs> you know, and, and 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 hitting harmonies and all that. And I don't know if you saw that new docking footage; is really yeah. tough to watch. And that's yeah, a, he, he should have gave it up. That was good. Yeah, I thought, uh, and that's so sad to see him still trying to do it. Yeah, man, and it's uh, you know, and I I just don't understand what there has to be somebody in his life that loves him. This is Don, please, buddy. Please. Yeah, don't do that to yourself anymore. It's really really bad. I mean, it's really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's not good. How guys in the band felt that night on stage, <laughs> like <laughs> what they were hearing through the monitors. Ugh. We were hearing that out front, you know, the stuff yeah. that went on YouTube. My God, the stage sound must have been fucking terrifying for us. Because the, the bass player and the guitar player, Rev Beach, was playing guitar. Rev is a fucking incredible guitar player. Mm -hmm. I don't know who the drummer and the bass player were, but they were singing their ass off. The backups were were spot on, <laughs> and, it, and it was like, man, it was worse than Vince Neil. Yeah. I mean that, that that's that's saying a lot, you know. No, the Vince is Vince is super tough to watch. I think I think Vince will be all right though. I really do. I think he's going to come back. Come back. Well, I, on this tour, on the tour they're going to do. 
Well, he might look better, but he's not going to sound any better. Well, part I mean, of his problem is he couldn't sing all the words. He doesn't remember them. <laughs> he just doesn't remember the words. I mean, I can tell you that I went I went to Janice Landing to see Vince's solo band with Scotty Hill from Skid Row. Right. As you know, we went up together. And uh, man, I, that was the first time I'd seen Molly or Vince or anything or seen him do. And I just, I was just baffled by the fact that he couldn't even remember words that are, that, you know, that were like, he's the one that comes. Just gibberish. Dude, you can't remember. He's the one they call Dr. Feel good. You can't remember <laughs> that line. Like I get it. Maybe you forget a few words in the verse. It happens, but you can't remember the fucking hook to a goddamn song that everybody in the planet fucking knows. I just, that was shocking to me. And yeah. uh, so, so maybe, maybe he'll get the shit together. I, I we'll hope see. he does, man. I mean, you know, I, I think that it's a, uh, uh, he, he better, he better not go out and half ass it again, or he's, he, he'll deserve all the, the pelting that he gets. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're going to do something as big as they're doing. You gotta, you can't go out like that. She's got kill. <laughs> <laughs> like what? She has the looks that kill. Why can't you remember that? <laughs> Have you ever forgot words? Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. All the time. Yeah. You forget them in verses and stuff, you know, but you don't forget the hook. What did you do when no. you forgot them? Did you mumble? Yeah. yeah mumble <laughs> your ass right on through it, man. Uh, but the worst, though, is if you forget the words to the beginning of the song, <laughs> which I've done on a couple of occasions. And, uh, oh, man, it's just, yeah, it's embarrassing, man. I mean, uh, I, I, it was never in front of, like, any large crowds or anything like that. But uh, it was it was upon, you know, coming back and just not being well-rehearsed enough, you know. And, and sometimes you just have a, a, a brain lapse. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, all right, here it comes again, where you're thinking about something. Fuck, I missed the first line. My biggest problem is... Uh, you know, I, I need to start that first line to remember all the rest of them. It's kind of this continuance. And when I hear the music, it, it's, it's, you know, uh, like if, if you ask me the lyrics to any of my songs right now, I'd have to think in my head, I would have to be like, right. All right, here's how it goes. Um, because it's like this all in one feeling. So if I forget that first line, I'm, I'm, I'm fucked. Or I'll sing the wrong, I'll sing the second verse first instead of the first one. <laughs> I've done that, and uh, yeah, I'm listening. We all do that, but I, I think it's safe to say that what Vince did, <clears throat> you know, that we made fun of him about, was, you know, he's not even close to the mark. I mean, he's not even, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he has teleprompters and everything, so <laughs> you know, he's got all the greatest sound and and and, and, a mil and a tons of you know help. You know, he's got he's got auto tune. He's got all kinds of shit to help him. But he's still fucked. Up, so. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Yeah, what do I know? He's he's still living comfortably in the hills of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking scraping change to try to fucking get by. So <laughs> good for him. You know, yeah. he found a way. <laughs> well, good man. Listen, Kelly, it was good catching up with you. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed it, guys. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, thanks, thanks yeah. for coming on. I'll tell you good what, when uh, podcast and everything, anything I can do to help, let me know. And, uh, just spread yeah. the word. That's what you can do. I shall. I shall. And when Send um, yeah, I will. And um. You know, things open back up and you get going on the new record or whatever, give me a call and we'll get you back on. Come back on, man. I, I appreciate that. And I'll, I'll, we'll definitely be up to South Carolina. I think we're, do, we're supposed to do a, an American tour in June. So um, when we come back through there, please come as our guests and uh, oh, definitely. Come to the show. Cool. hang out, man. We'll have some beers. It'll be cool. Yeah, man. All right, All right Kelly. Gents. We'll be, right, I'll be care. in touch too when Madden Stay comes safe out. safe and healthy. Okay. Right. You too, Kelly. Thanks. Right. See you. Cheers, man. Take care. 
That's all for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast. Available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.